Hi there, Playmaker. Have you heard blogging is dead or outdated? Well, I'm here to tell you firsthand that blogging is one of the easiest and quickest ways to ensure your business ranks highly on search engines like Google to get your products and services in front of the right people at the exact time they're ready to make a booking or a purchase. So if you want real results from blogging but are low on time, grab my free checklist at michellecarawana.com slash blog checklist or head to the show notes for the link and I'll deliver it to your inbox before this episode even starts. My free blogging checklist will help you ensure first that you're publishing content your ideal customers will search for, find, and read. Next, that you aren't wasting any of the precious time you spend creating this content. Third, that you're fully optimizing every post to boost your SEO or search engine optimization. And finally, that your blogs are actually working to convert clicks into paying customers, which is what my podcast is all about. And this checklist also includes a guide on how to actually know what to write and what to include in your blog. Plus, I share dozens of blog post topics and titles to give you major inspiration to use for your own blog. So head to the show notes or go to michellecarawana.com slash blog checklist and get ahead of your competition online right now. If you're in the play and party business and you want to operate with more ease and joy, all while making the living you dreamed of, I created the Profitable Play Podcast just for you. Join me, your host, Michelle Caruana, for Small But Mighty Tips Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays that will all add up to a big impact on your mindset, your business, and your bottom line. Stick with me to keep the passion and grow the profit in your play or party-based business. Hi there, Playmakers. It's me, your host, Michelle Caruana, and I have another guest expert interview for you today. And I know I always kick these episodes off by saying how excited I am to share a particular conversation, but I really am so excited to share this guest expert with you today. So today on the podcast, we have Meg Casebolt, who you may remember from some very early episodes as an expert in search engine optimization. Now, I'm going to let Meg tell you more about it, but her business, Love at First Search, specializes in helping service providers like indoor playground owners get found on Google by their ideal customers without having to use paid ads. Now, she's not saying you should never use paid ads, but as the foundation, your organic search engine marketing needs to be good. I've been working with Meg for years, and she has done a more in-depth training for Playmaker Society members, but in my experience, Owners who really prioritize search engine optimization, as Meg recommends, see a far greater return on their investment and on their time spent than owners whose main focus is social media. And that's because there's a big difference between people scrolling along on Instagram or Facebook and maybe coming across your post, which interrupts their feed of family and friends posts, and between getting in front of someone who is sitting down at their computer and searching for birthday venues so they can make a booking right in that moment. This is why social media is often referred to as interruption marketing because it is much more difficult to convert a casual social scroller directly into a paying customer. It takes a lot of time and effort. Search engine marketing, on the other hand, 
gets you in front of people ready to buy or book. Whether they're looking to sign their kiddo up for a baby sign language class in the area or whether they're looking to book a birthday party or maybe it's a grandparent looking for an amazing holiday present to gift. And if you've ever done any research into search engine optimization or if you've taken a training before, one of the main recommendations right now is blogging. And while this isn't the only way, and there are certainly many other factors involved, blogging can be an effective way of producing content that will help your business float to page one on search engines, which adds significantly to your number of bookings and your revenue. And blogging can also be an amazing way to educate your customers and really highlight your space, showcase your services, and make points of connection that will turn into a genuine relationship with your customers over time and build that know, like, and trust that we know is so important. And the shelf life of a blog can span years. Some of my most visited web pages to this day via Google search are over three years old. And that's a significantly longer impact than any social media post could give you, even one that goes quote unquote viral, which is hard to do as a small local business. I believe in the power of search engine marketing so much that I actually put together a blogging checklist that you can download right now in the show notes. I'm going to link that along with Meg's information so that you can very easily access it. And this is going to help you ensure that every valuable minute you spend creating blog content will actually help move your SEO efforts forward and give you those long-term benefits that can be so crucial to the sustainability of your business. And there's one more resource that I wanted to direct you to as part of this episode. Meg, our guest expert today, recently wrote a book that I absolutely loved. I'm going to link to it in the show notes as well. It's called The Social Slowdown. And in that book, she talks about the basics of search engine marketing, yes, but she really dives deep into a topic that literally speaks to my soul. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you'll understand why. In this book, Meg talks about how to run a wildly successful business without being tied to your phone, without feeling like you need to constantly be posting on Instagram, without feeling like you can't unplug and take a vacation without seeing a significant drop in sales. And this conversation with Meg is super timely for two reasons. Number one, as you are listening to this, I'm on vacation this week and I will be unplugged. And one of the only reasons I'm able to do this is because I've built a business that does not rely on social media or me constantly being present, answering DMs and worrying about getting front in front of my ideal customers. So I thought it was the perfect time to share this episode because Meg has really helped me build that foundation. And then the second reason this is super timely is that this episode covers so much of what we dive significantly deeper into in my Book More Birthdays Challenge that is coming up October 23rd. So if you are ready to dig into your current web traffic numbers and make a real difference in your numbers and sales, I want to invite you once again to join us at michellecarawana.com slash 2023 birthday challenge, or you can just click the link in the show notes. I made it really easy. I only do this challenge once per year. 
And I do it in October because it's going to allow you to go into 2024 feeling so much more confident about booking out your birthday calendar without being tied to your phone or feeling like you're always in sales mode or always wondering and having to guess where that next booking will come from and when. So again, that link is in the show notes as well. We start a week from today as this episode is getting released. And before we dive in, I just want to apologize really quickly. The day we recorded this podcast episode, my son literally stepped on my laptop and cracked, like literally shattered the entire screen. So I had to record this episode using my son's PC, which he mainly uses for gaming. And there are a couple blips in the audio where I think I couldn't figure out how to turn his darn notifications off. So there are, I think, like two dings in this episode. So you're not going crazy. You're not missing a notification. I'm so sorry. I tried to edit those out, but it was just too difficult because remember, you know, I'm a one-woman show here on this podcast. I do everything from scripting to obviously recording and editing and posting and you know, creating blogs and web pages around these episodes and emailing out it out to make sure everybody gets to hear this episode. So, you know, I really did my best with this audio, but there are a couple blips, but you know, it is what it is. I really felt like this content was so important and so valuable. And again, I really wanted to get it to you this week for those two reasons I mentioned just a moment ago. So I really appreciate your patience and understanding. And if you enjoy this podcast or you find this conversation helpful, As always, the best way that you can show support for me or for the show is to download one of the resources that I mentioned in this episode or to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you are listening. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Meg Casebolt, the author of The Social Slowdown. Hey, Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me back. I'm really excited. So a lot of people watching are probably already familiar with you, but do you want to just get started with a little introduction? Sure. Uh, My name is Meg Casebolt. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am the founder of Love at First Search, which is a marketing agency singularly devoted to search marketing. So, you know, we call it search engine optimization, which is a fancy way of saying helping you get found on places like Google, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, anything that has a search bar, you can optimize your website or your products to show up in those search results. The benefit of that too, as opposed to something like social media as a marketing strategy is that people can then seek you out and find you at a time that's convenient for them versus what's showing up in the algorithm on any given day that you sort of have to play, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's how we first got connected is, you know, of course we were at one point local to each other. So that's (laughs) one way that we met, but you know, I was operating a local business at the time and it was very difficult for me to, you know, come up with strategic content that was going to um, get me found on Google. And I just was at a point, I had two little kids. I just wasn't at a point where I could post on social media 10 times a day. So that was so helpful. I was like, okay, let's make sure that you're getting found for local birthday parties in your specific town and what can you do with toddlers and roundup posts and you know like things like that that people were already looking for that especially for local businesses they're always look you know parents are always looking for things to do with their kids so (laughs) I think that was how you and I first connected is I was like oh I actually bring my kids to (laughs) to your business and and then we got chatting over a cup of coffee you know so we're talking about search we're talking about how you as a parent with small kids wanted to um um, 
to create content that you don't have to be, you know, posting 10 times a day on what was then called Twitter and is now called X, you know? (laughs) Yes. And it's, it was so important to me as well, because, you know, a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, Google and other platforms are so saturated with content that it's impossible to rank highly or float to the top. And while that is, you know, it is a lot more difficult for some businesses, for local businesses, there is so much more opportunity. And with a couple small tweaks, I was really surprised at, you know, when we just made, like you said, just a couple small tweaks to my headers, my, you know, page descriptions and things like that. I was shocked at how quickly I was able to see my content all of a sudden rank way higher in those search results. Right. You didn't have to compete against anybody who was running any sort of, you know, kid-friendly activity. You just had to show up in your town, you know, within maybe a 10-mile radius where you knew that people were going to be searching for you. And so having that local piece, like there, you just don't have as much competition. So the benefit of that is that you just have to tell Google, like, here's where I am. Here's what I do. Here's who I serve. And then there are obviously some steps that you can take after that, you know, making sure that you have reviews that come into your Google business profile, um, making sure that you have your location listed on maps, because a lot of times when people are looking for local search, they're looking on Google maps. You know, there are things that you can do that you don't have to rank for the term for the entire world. You can just show up in your specific location, which makes a huge difference. Because yeah, people absolutely. like, if I find something in California and I live in New York, I'm not going to go to it anyway. But if I can find something one town over from me, I can be there in 24 hours. And a lot of times when people are looking for local search results, they will go visit that location within 24 hours. I think something like 30 or 40% of local searches result in an in-person visit within 24 hours. That might be pre-COVID numbers though. I don't know exactly when that was last updated. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you say that as well, because that's one of the other things that I absolutely love about search engine marketing and really optimizing for SEO is that, you know, when people are browsing on social media and they come across your post, they're not in that active mindset where they're actively looking for a place to book a birthday party, for a place to visit. So yeah, they might see your post and they might give it a heart, but they, you're not going to see that same high percentage of people actually showing up at your business or booking a party within those 24 hours. I don't go on Facebook because I'm thinking (laughs) about my kid's birthday party. I go on Facebook to see, you know, how my cousin's kids are growing up or what's happening in the local PTSA or cat videos and memes, right? Like (laughs) it's an entertainment tool and it's a connection tool, but it's not necessarily an education platform. Right. Versus if I'm like, I need to find a place for my kid's birthday party or like my kids are driving me up the wall. I need to get out of my house right now. Where can I go that's open? And I can put those filters into place and be like, what's open now that's less than $2 signs. And oh, hey, I can get a cup of coffee there. Sold, right? (laughs) Like you, it it can be a much more um, active relationship that you're having with your potential clients if they are seeking you out versus you're just kind of scrolling by them. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a lot of clients that I work with one-on-one on their indoor playground marketing. And so often they get hung up on those like sexy numbers, the likes, the followers, and they'll have this list of businesses and they're like, I want to be more like this business or why can't I get this many people to like my post? And I have to constantly remind them that those numbers, while they are you know, kind of sexy and they're cool to see, they don't always translate into sales. And that doesn't mm 
that's not necessarily an indicator of how well that business is doing financially, how many parties they're booking. So while, you know, ranking highly in search results isn't as cool as having, you know, 10,000 Instagram followers, it absolutely oftentimes means a much bigger impact on the money that you're taking home, which at the end of the day is what we all should care about. I'm not going to say, you know, it's what we all care about, but it's what I behind it. You want to be acknowledged. You want to be seen. You want to be valued. You want people to know who you are, that there is something very validating about that. But you and I have a mutual friend who has um, a business with literally a million Instagram followers, a million with an M, right? And she makes almost no sales from her Instagram because people are going on there to, to see hand lettering. They're not necessarily there to buy her courses about how to license and their artwork. But if somebody goes to Google and searches something like art licensing and her website shows up and, you know, gets onto her email list and gets to know her and her business partner a little bit better, they're going to buy that course because they're ready to make that purchase because they're already curious about that topic because they're seeking out more information versus going to Instagram and following hand lettering, <laughs> you know, like this is something beautiful. This is something entertaining. This is not something that I'm going to spend money on. So does it lead to more brand awareness so that when people are curious about art licensing, they recognize the name of that brand? Yes, absolutely. Does it lead to a direct sale of every, you know, if, if every Instagram follower gave you a dollar, would she be a millionaire? Yes, but not every Instagram follower is going to give you a dollar, right? And just because you have a million followers doesn't mean that a million people see every post, doesn't mean that a million people engage with every post, doesn't mean a million people actually pay any attention to what's happening. I would say, you know, if you were to actually go look at that, probably 30% of them are bots, right? <laughs> Like, it's not always easy to, to draw a direct line of correlation between these are my social media analytics and this is the profit in my bank account. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of those people are also like teenagers <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. you know, kids. Um, you know, I've done a lot of analytics into some of those accounts that a lot of people idolize. And I'm like, these people are never going to become customers, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So again, while there are other ways to make money when you get to that level of, you know, following, it doesn't necessarily translate into your actual business sales. So I think it's just a, a great reminder for us all to have that while those numbers are really fun, again, it, it's not necessarily an indicator of how that business is doing financially. Mm -hmm. And remember also that a lot of those businesses that are that have the big followings often get the big followings because they're spending money on paid social ads like Facebook ads and Instagram ads that will help boost their numbers that make them look more successful. But in some ways they're doing a pay to play. Like they are able to get more reach because they're spending money on advertising, but by spending money on advertising, they make themselves look bigger. And then they're trying to sell you something that says, well, you don't have to spend money on advertising the way that I did, right? Like there's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance, a little bit of a dis disconnect between the ways that larger businesses that need bigger audiences, especially those that are selling, you know, lower cost priced uh, services or offers, um, they're going to need more people. So they're going to market differently than somebody who's running an in-person business or who's running a freelance business or who's running a one-to-one -one service business, like a coaching business. Like 
the the ways that people are advertising may not be the same as you because they might have a different business model. They might need a different size audience than you do, but they're showing up in your feed because they're paying to show up in your feed because they want you to follow their feed because that makes them look good, right? It's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's just, once we had this con- this first conversation, literally like years and years ago, I will never forget it felt like the weight of the world was like lifted off my shoulders when I finally realized that I no longer had to feel like I was completely tied to my phone or that I had to post three times a day or 10 times a day to be successful. Like some of these gurus were telling me, especially as a local business. And what I always also like to remind people is that I think like 90% of the marketing advice out there is geared towards online businesses, people that do business with anybody in the country or in the world. So again, I always like to bring it back to the fact that local business marketing is so different and it's okay if your business, like you said, looks a little bit different. Your marketing strategy looks a little bit different because you have different goals and you have different potential markets. Yeah. As an online business, sometimes I'm jealous of the local businesses because I'm like, well, they don't have to rank for these impossible search terms. You know, if I just wanted to be found as an SEO consultant only in Rochester, New York, it would be much, much easier. And I do get some traffic from that. But, you know, if I had an in-person business and I could do the networking and get to know people in my community and set up referrals and set up collaborations, like I might not need social at all. Yeah, I it's don't, nice, yeah. nice to have, but it's not necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it was so freeing to hear that and I appreciated it so much. So I just had to bring that back to the forefront. And, you know, we talked about sales. We talked about how it can really change the amount of money and effort and time you have to put into social media. And you actually wrote a book about that recently. I did. I have it right here. It's upside down. So I call the book, The Social Slowdown. And the tagline is market your business without sacrificing your mental health. Um, I have spent the last year running a podcast by the same name. And after, you know, talking to dozens, almost a hundred, we actually just rolled over our hundredth episode of talking about this particular topic. Um, I just kind of went, this is so good. This is so, these conversations are fantastic as we're starting to have the, you know, a dialogue about how to run your business without being dependent on social media. Um, and I wanted to turn it into something that was a bit more digestible than, oh, let's just go listen to a hundred hours of conversations. <laughs> What's the core thesis of this idea? And also to give myself and my like nerdy academic self a chance to go back into the research and say, you know, what does the American Psychological Association say about social media addiction? Like internet addiction was uh was proposed as a disorder to go in the DSM-5 back in 1996. Like the ways that our brain, it, it didn't get put in, you know, but people have been noticing and talking about this for going on 30 years. The ways that our brains respond to social media, to internet notifications, to the, the, the phones in our hands that are always attached to us is very similar to the ways that people get addicted to gambling. Because you know, when you're, when you're, you know, pulling on that slot machine, it's not going to go to a jackpot every time, but you're hoping that it does. You have that, that dopamine rush of things could work out for me. And then if things do, 
if you go viral, if you do have a post that does really well, you you're chasing that high again, right? So in a, in a lot of ways, the correlation is <laughs> very clear. Like we're gambling every time we post because the algorithm may or may not reward us for the time that we're investing into it, for the money that we're investing into it. But we want that outcome so badly that we're willing to keep working on it. And like, I leave for Las Vegas in five days. I love gambling, but you have to go into it with a plan. You have to be able to say, all right, I'm going to spend $500. And then when I'm out of money, I walk away from the table. And that was it, right? Like you can't just keep feeding the machine and expecting to, to go viral every time because that's just not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also one of those people who, you know, when I do post something, which is I'm getting more regular with it, but I'm still, you know, a once a month poster at best. I still haven't you know, kind of conquer that myself. But when I do post, I just posted a TikTok the other day, I'm refreshing and refreshing and refreshing. So I can absolutely see how those two correlate because I see those unhealthy behaviors in myself, even though I'm not someone who posts consistently. And as you said, I did have a couple of videos do really well. And I'm always, you know, is this going to be the next one? And even just, you know, moving throughout the day, when I do post more regularly, I find that it like permeates into all of my other activities. So like if I'm at the grocery store, sometimes I'll be like, oh, this would be a cool post idea or something like that. And it's, again, it's, it's not just while you're on social media, it kind of, you know, found its way into all of my thoughts and I was dreaming about it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I need to pull back. Like, this is something that I can easily see taking over my life. And I'm glad that I recognized it and put some structure around it. And then, you know, of course I didn't do everything perfectly after I had a couple videos do really well. I took a complete step back. So that's not necessarily what I recommend doing. I just <laughs> quit altogether, but um, I did absolutely see how unhealthy it could become. And again, I'm glad I recognized it, but I know so many people, you know, don't see that connection. Yeah, I think it can cause a lot of anxiety, especially around like, oh, what if somebody contacts me and I don't respond to them immediately? Or what if I miss something important in my notifications and and I miss out on a chance to, you know, collaborate with somebody or or make a sale or something along those lines? Um And it also can lead to a lot of feelings about our own self-worth. When you were saying like, you know, I post and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, it's like there's a there's a not condition, but there's a, I don't even know what to call it. It's rejection sensitivity dysphoria is the, is the name of it. Or it's like, when you post, you're putting yourself out there, you're being vulnerable. And if people don't react to it, you feel like you're rejected. It might just be that the algorithm decided not to show people that because you posted at 10 a.m. instead of 10.05 a.m. and other people posted at 10 a.m. But you feel like, oh, nobody cares about me anymore. And you can turn that experience inward and have it impact your self-worth and your value versus being able to externalize that and say, it was out of my control, right? It can feel like you're doing something wrong. And especially those of us who have been socialized and raised as women are much more calm. It's much more common for us to say like, oh, I must have done something wrong versus thinking critically about the system is broken. (laughs) The algorithm is messing with me. It expects me to continue feeding into it because that's the way that the system is built. Right. And that's not even getting into, you know, the negative comments that come with social media. Oh my gosh. The trolls. Yeah. That's something that 
absolutely prevents me from posting. And that's one reason that I absolutely love, you know, creating blog content and things like that, because it's a way for me to give people information when they need it, people that are searching for it. And yes, I have comments on, on my blog and I have comments on my YouTube videos, but it's just completely different than when a video takes off like on Instagram reels or on TikTok. And it's very easy, you know, to say, oh, comments don't affect me or, you know, I have thick skin, but so many times, even as somebody who, you know, has successful courses, had a successful business, I'll read a couple comments and I'll be like, wait, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe, you know, maybe, um, my voice is too, you know, cringy for video, or maybe, you know, I'm not the best person to be talking about this, or, you know, maybe I should change my price or if, you know, they said it was too expensive. So it is really difficult, even for the person with the most confidence and the thickest skin to ignore those comments. So again, it kind of goes back to your topic about protecting your mental health. I just had to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a viral content creator. I want to attract an audience. I want to have a loyal following and I want to market my products because I know they help people, but I just don't, I'm not in a place where I can be reading those negative comments constantly. So I had to find a different way. And for me, again, it all comes back to making sure that people are able to find me wherever there's a search bar. That's where I feel very comfortable. And I know not everyone is going to relate to that. Not everyone is going to, you know, relate to reading those negative comments and sometimes taking them to heart. But for me, um, you know, having too much feedback absolutely gives me not just doubt in myself, but it also prevents me from creating new things. It holds back my creativity, even if it's not, you know, if somebody said my shirt was ugly, you know, that's not something I'm not going to go throw the shirt away. But, you know, it does prevent me from wanting to get on camera again. And YouTube is how I sell the majority of my courses. It's how I build my email list. So I have to be really careful. And I just had to recognize that in myself that, you know, the more I post on those platforms, yeah, my audience is growing and it feels good. And it's good to see those numbers. And it's great when the video hits and the algorithm picks it up. But if it's not going to translate into sales and if it's not, if it's going to hold me back in the more important areas of my business then it's not worth it to me. And back Mm -hmm. when I had my local business, when, you know, this was before TikTok, it was even before Instagram reels, which seems crazy to say, (laughs) it was literally yesterday when we were, you know, there with our, I think like 18 month olds at the time. Um, Oh my God, now I have a third grader. drinking coffee. (laughs) I know it's crazy. I just dropped mine off for second grade, which is just absolutely insane. So, um, you know, when I had my local business, it's funny, you know, when you are a local business owner and you're posting yourself online and you're being vulnerable, when you have an online business, you can kind of keep that screen as a divider between you and your audience. But when you have a local business, it's a little bit different because your audience is literally, you know, the whole hope is that eventually they're going to be standing in your space and you're going to be face to face with them. And, you know, I would be at the grocery store and people would say, hey, you know, you're the owner of this cafe and they would talk to me and it was, it was great. But I also, again, it, it, everything comes with the pros and the cons. So I just kind of had to learn as well that, you know, that was also not great for my mental health because, you know, of course it always happened to be that someone would recognize me and want to talk to me and strike up a conversation 
as I'm like wrestling two feral children into a grocery cart. And <laughs> or like, like that is the day that you show up with like the the top knot and the pajamas on and exactly. you're just trying to run through a Weggies run and people are like, oh, let's have a really long conversation while you have to get to, you know, daycare drop off. Exactly. And it's, it's a little bit unique having a local business where, you know, that hosts children and families, because even though, you know, I've never claim to be a parenting expert. I always, maybe I put this, you know, burden on myself, but I always felt like people were looking to me as mm-hmm. an example or as a role model. And so if I wasn't feeling that, you know, I would brush people off and I would, you know, maybe not have the warmest interaction just because I wanted to get out of the conversation yeah. as quickly as possible. And I did get a couple Google reviews against me personally that, you know, maybe I wasn't the warmest or I yelled at my kids or, you know, so reading those reviews, you know, that's something that's very unique to yeah. a local business. And that's something that, you know, we have to be really careful about. So, and but, but way, I think on the flip side of that also is that when people see you as an actual human, when they see you interacting with their children, when they see you at the grocery store, they might be less likely to post that than to go on your YouTube channel and say, Hey, your shirt's ugly. And I hate your voice. Right? Like there's, there's think. a reality. <laughs> The trolls trolls might be a little different. (laughs) Yeah, you would think they were very nice to my face. I will say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as they were back behind that screen, all their power came back to them and all their courage. So I I, people do surprise me at, you know, how, um, you know, rude and mean they can be, even though they have spoken to me as a person. And again, not just me for any local business owner. That's one of the things I just made a YouTube video about this. One of the things that surprised me the most is you know, when you first open a business, you get the warm and fuzzies and everyone's excited. And, you know, it really shocked me how quick these, you know, mom supporting moms and you yeah. know, the people who were so excited for this business to open would leave, you know, a one-star review and said they saw a dust bunny or something like that. And I'd be like, Hey, you know, <laughs> I know you from baby yoga class and you could have just messaged me this on Facebook, but, in, you know, so, I mean, I know we're getting off on a little tangent, but, you know, as a local business owner, we have this very unique set of problems. And more and more, I'm working with these one-on-one indoor playground clients and more and more they're saying, you know, I don't necessarily want to be the face Mm -hmm. of my business. I don't want that burden. I don't want people to recognize me, whether that's, you know, a personal safety issue or whether that's just being an introvert. A lot of people are asking me, you know, how can I market my business without having to do reels or without having to you know, do those, you know, cheesy finger pointing videos. Or oh my gosh, videos. I can't even watch them. Or, yeah, so, or be consistent on those platforms. And I always tell them, you know, go back and watch the video that I did with Meg on search engine optimization, because it is absolutely possible to still get your business and your offerings in front of the right people, even if you don't want to be the face of mm-hmm. your business, even if you don't want um, you know, to do live video or anything like that. Is it going to be a little bit more of a long-term strategy? Yes. Is it going to give you those same, you know, instant results that a viral post might give you in terms of not necessarily sales, but that like dopamine rush? The dopamine hit. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. The, the instant feeling of, oh, I'm posting something and I'm seeing instant results, you Mm -hmm. know, whether that's views or whether that's sales. So while search engine optimization does take a little bit longer to really, start taking effect, as you mentioned in the beginning, kind of bringing it back full circle. Once it does, and once your pages do rank, you're able to find people when it's convenient for them, 
whether that's, you know, I have, I was doing a little bit of research before our call and some of my best performing YouTube videos, some of my best performing blog posts are things I posted in 2018 and 2019. And have I had to go back and update some of that content? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, people are still finding that original piece of content. And, you know, people always love to say, well, you know, the shelf life of a social media post, it might be, you know, a couple minutes or days or hours. But people can always go back and scroll through the grid and see Nobody's it. doing that. Nobody's, I, I agree. Nobody's doing that. But I have heard a lot of people say that, you know, they're usually social media coaches or people who have an Instagram course to sell. But <laughs> I always like to remind people that, you know, one of the best things about creating content for search engines is that you can protect your identity and yourself if you, if you really want to, if that's something that's important to you. And again, now more than ever, I'm hearing more and more indoor playground owners say that just for whatever reason. Um, again, maybe it's a personal safety issue. Maybe it's just being an introvert, but one of the best ways to do that is to emphasize and spend your time and energy on search engine optimization, especially as a local business owner. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that people don't realize about search too is, you know, you were just saying people find your blog post, your YouTube videos from five years ago. You can go into Google search console or YouTube analytics and say, what exactly, what was the exact phrase that that person was looking for when they found me? And then you can go maybe update a blog post or maybe go, oh, that's, I didn't expect them to look for that. Let me go create something new. And then you can take that content that you created in 2018, 2019, and turn that into a carousel post that you can set up to regenerate on your social media every three months, because you know people are looking for that information, but you don't have to recreate it every time. You don't have to go in and do a real live every time. That information can continue to show up in both of those places then you can sort of not quite set it and forget it, but it is something that you can systemize and optimize versus new creation all the time and needing to be on all the time and needing to create something new every day. You know, there are ways to repurpose your content so that way you, you can figure out what your most popular and most beneficial content is and then distribute it across multiple platforms instead of like, Oh, I have to log on at 10 o'clock every morning and create something brand new, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the point that you made about, you know, repurposing the post because the shelf life of a social media post is so short. A lot mm -hmm. of people forget that, you know, if you have a post that does really well, you can repost it again in a couple mm -hmm. months. I guarantee you people are not going to remember. And remember that, you know, your reach people who are, even those people who are following you on social media, usually only about 10% of the people who are following you on social actually see your posts. So even if you were to post that same reel or that same carousel or that same, you know, whatever, whatever it is, prompt quiz prompt, um, every month, if only 10% of your audience is seeing it and you're churning, so you have new people finding you and people unfollowing it's not going to hurt you to post the same thing, especially if people reacted to it. That might be a really good thing to post it again. And if somebody sees it twice, they might not remember or they might be like, oh, okay. Like nobody's going to, oh, I already saw this. How dare you? Um, okay. Maybe the trolls will say that. I don't know. <laughs> and it's, it's so funny um, what you said about the analytics because, and I know for a fact that, you know, it is so important to dive into those details and figure out how people are finding you because that's what's going to help you, like you said, 
figure out what's working, figuring out what information people are looking for and create more information around that. And the reason that I know that is because I don't know if you have noticed this with YouTube lately, but every month they send me like a quiz and they basically quiz me on how people were finding my videos. It's just like a fun way to look at your analytics. So it'll be like, try and guess your number one search term for the month. And then I'll have to check. And then it'll be like, guess how many times you appeared for this search. And it will just be like three random numbers. And it's so funny, but just the fact that YouTube is trying to make it fun to know your analytics just shows how important it is because YouTube sees that the people who put more intention behind their posts and dive into those analytics, they're the ones that see more results. So, you know, I, I do really enjoy those little quizzes every single month. And it reminds me to go in and dig deeper and look at those, look at those numbers. But if YouTube is telling you and spoon feeding you these, <laughs> these analytics in this, you know, silly format, it, that means something, right? YouTube's not doing that for no reason. They want you to be successful on the platform because, you know, they, then you create more. exactly. Yeah. So if that doesn't, you know, show you that those analytics and those numbers matter, then I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah. And Google, Google maps and Google business profile will do a very similar thing. It's not the quiz, which sounds re- like a really fun way to gamify it. Um, but they send you updates and say like, here's how many people found you on Google maps. Here's how many people called you. Here's the terms that they looked for. Here's, uh, it used to have where people were searching from too, which was really helpful. Um, but it will send you those updates so you don't have to even go in and look for them anymore. Whereas the social media platforms, they always just want you to log in. They're not going to send you that information because why would they send that to you if you could do it while you're on their their tool? And the, as long as they're showing you this, hey, we'll show you an ad too. Right. And, and it's so funny. Um, It's kind of like the Spotify wrapped, but for your business for <laughs> yes. like that month or for that period of time. Oh, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, we did a really great job of, you know, emphasizing just how important it is to create content for search engines. And hopefully everybody's leaving this conversation really excited about putting together a more intentional plan. And hopefully you had the same experience that I did when I first met Meg, feeling like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. And I know that sounds crazy, but as a business owner, it it's, I'm not exaggerating. You know, yeah. it feels like, you know, even when I'm not posting, there's always that little nagging voice in the back of my mind. Like I'm, you know, I'm relaxing right now. I should be posting. I should be doing this. I should be creating new content. I should be doing this. So once I, you know, started learning about intentional search engine marketing, it really did feel that big of a burden was lifted. So I hope you are feeling that same lightness after hearing this conversation. So if you and I, I want to add before, yeah. before we go too far off this this topic. You don't have to leave social media if you don't want to. If this still feels good to you, maybe you stay on these platforms, especially if they do work for you, but you create some of your own intentional boundaries and you say, you know what, after nine o'clock at night, even if I wake up at two in the morning, because all of us wake up at two in the morning, we're anxiety, you know, (laughs) but even if I wake up at two in the morning, I'm not going to respond to my DMs at that point. Or it's okay for me not to respond to the DMs on the weekend because I don't want people to expect me to react to them that quickly in real time. Like people can wait. This is not the end of the world. Or maybe it's, I'm going to log in on a Monday and I'm going to batch my content for the week. And then I'll check 
my notifications, but I'm not going to feel like I need to create again during that time. So setting some of these routines and rituals around this, turning off your notifications and making a choice for yourself about this is when I'm going to log in versus letting the algorithm point out to you that you haven't logged in in a while and don't you want to come back? And, you know, every time we do that, we get that little dopamine hit, right? We feel like we're missing out on something and, and FOMO is real. So setting up your own routines, your own boundaries, and being clear about what that is and articulating what those boundaries are to your audience and saying, you know, we'll get back to you in 24 hours, but it, it won't be two hours. <laughs> Don't expect that sort of reaction. Exactly. And I had to pull this up. TikTok literally sent me an email yesterday that says, um, Michelle, this, oh, you can't see it, but the subject line literally is, Michelle, what's stopping you from checking your new notifications? And I was like... Excuse me, TikTok. Uh, you TikTok. I, know, I, I thought that was. Such a, I know. I thought that was such an interesting way of putting it. But they send me these emails all the time, like new notifications, new notifications, ding, ding, ding. Like literally, it will use those subject lines. So it is so tempting. <sighs> um. So again, I think that's such a great reminder: is that it doesn't have to be black and white or an all or nothing thing. You don't have to pick search engine marketing or social media. It's just it allows you to feel better about setting those boundaries. So I think that's a great reminder. So thank you so much for Yeah, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. You can split them out. And that way, if something changes or, you know, your account gets hacked, you're not completely SOL. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And speaking of changes, one question that I did want to ask you before we kind of wrap up, because my inbox has been filled with it. And this is not really quite my area of expertise. So one thing that I keep hearing over and over is that AI or artificial intelligence has kind of made search engine optimization and search engines obsolete. And, you know, it's a lot of social media managers and coaches and people selling you things have latched onto this and said, you know, oh, look, this is, you know, all of the, these bloggers and everything, everybody that's been, you know, working on their search engine optimization, it's going right out the window because, you know, with AI, it's not going to matter anymore. And they're, again, latching onto this. So it's really a lot of fear mongering and things happening. So, um, you know, we don't have to get too far into it, but is search engine optimization dead? I sure as hell hope not. Um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, I love AI. I love being able to use a tool to improve what is already out there. But the fact is that robots cannot replace humans in general. And the more um, the more the marketers use AI, the more everything starts to sound the same, which gives you as a strategic marketer the opportunity to stand out from the crowd by continuing to create something that is above and beyond better than that. Um, there's a framework that I really love that I learned about in grad school called Bloom's Taxonomy. I mean, I'll make sure I get this correctly. Um, it's sort of like um, like a pyramid where there are different tiers of understanding on things. And at the lowest tier is you can repeat something back. You can use the words that someone is using and you can repeat back those exact terms. And then the next tier up is like, you can assess something, you can understand it, but you can't actually apply it to real life, you know? And then once you get higher and higher in these tiers of understanding, then you can start to synthesize ideas. You can create new ideas. You can be a thought leader. You can, you know, be strategic about the way that you're talking about things. 
And that is something that these robots cannot do. Yeah, maybe they will someday. Maybe, you know, I, I, I will probably be among the first to bow to the robot overlords when they come because <laughs> I know how powerful these tools can be. But they're still not can, making those same neural connections that our brains are. And the other thing that AI cannot do is empathize with people and tell stories that they actually want to hear. Trust me, I I also, like, in addition to being an SEO person, I also write romance novels. And sometimes I'll say to AI, like, <laughs> take this trope and give me, like, an idea to leap off with it. And their writing is awful, man. Nobody wants to read sex scenes written by AI. Um, because... <laughs> Because it's just not human. We still need that human touch. We still need that human interaction. So sometimes I will use AI for SEO and say like, can you write me a paragraph that would be about this search term? And I take it and then I rewrite it so I can use it as a brainstorming tool or I'll take, take a blog post or take a podcast interview and say, you know, create me the show notes for this. So I don't have to go back through and reread the whole thing and come up with the, the the overall ideas. Voice of customer research. What are three main things that people have said in this? Like you can use AI as a research tool without using it to generate something new for you. So using it as an assistant versus a creator, I think is a, the way to think about how to use AI so that you can benefit from the efficiency that it creates. But you can still be the human standing out in a sea of other people who all sound the same. You can be the different one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a great reminder. Um, and so, you know, all of your hard efforts working on your headers and blogging and things like that is not going out the window. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we will be there someday, but it's certainly not today and not in the near future. So thank you so much. I'm going to give us at least another month before SEO is dead. <laughs> Great, great way to end the video. So, you know, assuming that is a joke. Yes. So, you know, we're all really excited, I think, leaving this conversation about, you know, putting more intention behind search engine marketing because it can be so impactful for our businesses. So if someone is leaving this conversation and wanting to learn more or wanting to get in touch with you, where is the best way to learn more? about search engine optimization from you. Sure. You can head right over to my website, loveatfirstsearch.com. And there's a reason I sent you to my website and not to my Instagram account. And it's because we don't use Instagram anymore. I, I looked at the metrics and was like, this is not worth our time. So we are exclusively, you know, I have a YouTube channel as well. If that's your preferred way of learning, that's got a lot of tutorials on there, but we tried to put our money where our mouth is and, and really go all in on the website. So love at firstsearch.com. And if you're a podcast listener, I'd love to have you over at socialslowdown.com where we're having this conversation about how different people are marketing their businesses without being exclusively dependent on social media. Awesome. And I'm going to link to your book as well, which I highly recommend. I actually left it in my car because I was reading it in the school pickup line. So I don't have my copy, but I swear I have it. Um, I think I actually posted it on Instagram, like on my personal Instagram a while ago. Yeah. So I will link to that. Everybody check it out, check out her podcast. And I've also done more step-by-step, -step, more, um, you know, practical interviews with Meg as well. So I'm going to link to those. If you really want to start digging into exactly what you can do step-by-step, to improve your search engine optimization and your business's ranking on Google, or as Meg said, wherever there's a search bar. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it.
All right. That wraps up my conversation with Meg Casebolt. So don't forget to head to the show notes, check out Meg's website, purchase her book. It is an amazing read. Join the Bookmark Birthdays Challenge, download my free blogging checklist, and I will see you right back here on Wednesday. I have a really fun episode planned. All right. Have a great start to your week, Playmakers.